I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament prophet of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. We'll be reading the first 14 verses. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus said the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Lord of God. In Costa Rica, they have a, a phrase that they say quite frequently. It's the phrase, Pura Vida. I may not be saying it perfectly because I'm not a native to Costa Rica, but, um, but I have a t-shirt that says Pura Vida. And uh, Pura Vida basically means real life, or well, literally it means pure life. But it, it kind of means real life or uh, probably most, most pointedly good life. 
At least that's kind of the, the, the meaning of it. They, they'll usually throw in one of these with it, you know, Pura Vida. <clears throat> but I think it, it suggests something that we all recognize a little bit uh, in our own in our own experience, and that's the idea that you can be living but not quite be alive. Or you can be physically alive but still be missing something. You know, it's where we say, you know, there's got to be something more to this. I find it interesting, too, that, that in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Jesus himself seems to recognize that there's an aspect of life that is beyond the mere physical. Because Jesus wasn't saying, I have come to people that are not alive yet, and I've come to give them life. No, he's saying, I've come to these people who are living, but I've come to give them life. Something that touches the soul. Something that brings joy and fullness. Something that makes us say things like, I was made for this. This is what it's all about. If you uh, want to follow along under on, on the outline in your in your worship guide, under the heading of Israel's exile and ours, Ezekiel was a prophet of God to Israel while they were in exile in Babylon. To give you some context, this is the same Babylonian captivity into which Daniel and his friends were were carried off into into bondage. The reasoning for this time of exile for Israel, aside from the obvious, which is the armies of Babylon came in and conquered Israel. But the, the reason beyond that is that God had given Israel everything that they had. In fact, everything that Israel had belonged to God. He had blessed them with full access to everything that he had, but even as they possessed it, they didn't own it. By the way, I, I believe that this is exactly the perspective that we should have with regard to the things that we call our possessions. That everything that we have belongs to God. We're not owners. We're managers. We're stewards. But God is the owner and he entrusts his resources to us. Well, that was the way it was in Israel. God owned it all. But he had blessed them with access to everything. So consistent with this reality, if Israel rejected God, then they lost everything. Because everything was with him. Namely, they lost everything that, that, that belonged to God, therefore they lost everything that they had. Some of you were probably a little perplexed by me bringing an umbrella up here because it's a beautiful day outside and... You're wondering, is Dan neurotic? Is he, you know, is he just always afraid of that it's going to rain and he has an umbrella? No, that's not it at all. But I wanted to, to kind of illustrate something that we, we recognize. Um, I apologize to those of you who are super, superstitious. I'm not. <clears throat> so, but have you ever, have you ever tried to walk with two people under an umbrella? It's a, you know, I mean, we do it. 
some of us have, have become more proficient at it than others, but it's not that simple. It's not as difficult as a three-legged race, but it has some of those dynamics to it, right? I mean, you, you kind of have to be together. You know, if you're, if you're romantically involved with the person who's with you, it's, it's easier because you can put their arm, your arm around them and then it kind of feels like you're a unit. But like, you know, I mean, if, if Dick Skinner and I were trying to share this umbrella, you want to come up here and share this umbrella with me, Dick? <laughs> You know, so so Dick and I are up here, and you know, well, no, 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 yeah, yeah, no, no. This is my umbrella. You just you just ride with me. See, this is that's the way it works. But see, isn't that what we want to do? We come up and we're like, hey, cool. You know, I want to hold on. I want to control this thing. But see, here's how it works. This is my umbrella. I'm holding it. But I am happy for you to be here with me, Dick, and uh, and and to stay dry with me. All right. So you want to go for a little walk? Okay. Okay. Let's walk. All right. So, <laughs> what happened? Well, if you want the benefits of being under my umbrella, Dick, you're going to have to stay close to me. <laughs> Thank you, Dick. For <laughs> but I mean, you see, you you, you 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 notice. I mean, you know that, right? You know that that if you want the benefits of the umbrella, you have to stay close to the person holding the umbrella. I was goofing with him, and I, you know. I bobbed when when he weaved, and and you know that's the way it worked. But but the same thing happened with Israel and God. In spite of all God's warnings, Israel turned away from God in their bloodshed, in their idolatry, and so they moved away from God. And when they moved away from God, they moved away from all His benefits. All his blessing. And so now they're in exile. And not only have they lost their land and their possessions, but they were also losing their national identity. Their hope had always been in the promises that were made by God to Abraham, that that all the nations of the world would be blessed through them. They may not have fully understood what all that meant and what that was going to look like, but they had this hope that God was their God, they were his people, and God was going to bless those who blessed them and curse those who cursed them, and all the nations of the earth would ultimately be blessed through them. And so this was in large part their motivation for maintaining their identity as a separate nation belonging to God. But now they've been cut off. And the imagery of the dry bones is a metaphor for Israel now. God is telling them that they are as those who are cut off from the land of the living. Which is not the language of blessing, but actually it's the language of covenant cursing. It's it's if you keep my commandments, if you follow me, if you walk with me by faith, then I will bless you. But if you don't walk with me, if you turn away from me, if you don't follow me, then you will be cut off. And so they may not feel dead. They're still breathing. But as a nation, they're dying. They're being assimilated into other cultures and soon the nation's identity will be no more. So that's that's Israel's exile. But Israel's exile is a picture of a bigger exile. If you remember back in, in Genesis chapter 3, 
in Adam and Eve, the entire human race was exiled from the Garden of Eden. In the center of the garden was the tree of life. But outside the garden, we are cut off from God. We're cut off from meaning. We're cut off from purpose. We're cut off from hope. We've seen this in Living Color this week. This is not what we were made for. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of the response from, from what happened this week? We, we, we say, this isn't right. This is not the way it's supposed to, to happen. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Death, violence, sickness, mental illness, fear. We are outside of the garden. Do you recognize that? We are all in exile. We're breathing. But by and large, as a human race, we're not alive. Not the way we were made to be alive. So let's look at Israel's hope and our hope. God is about to do something. And so he instructs Ezekiel to prophesy. He says, say to the bones... I will put tendons and flesh and skin on you, and you will come to life. And they, and they did. God allows Ezekiel to see these bones come to life. And, and this coming to life of these dry bones is another metaphor. It's a continuation of the metaphor. And it represents deliverance from exile. Whereas the, the dryness of the bones and the deadness of the bones represented the exile them, itself, Israel in exile. The coming to life of these bones represents the deliverance of Israel from their exile. God is telling Israel that he has heard their cries and he is going to bring them back. He's going to bring them back to their land and he's going to bring them back to himself. But even as God announces to Israel that he's going to bring them out of their Babylonian captivity, there is still a bigger exile. They may go back to Canaan. This is the, the promised land, often referred to in the Old Testament as the land of Canaan. They may go back to that promised land, the land of Canaan, but it's not the Garden of Eden. And they may rebuild the temple. But their sins will never truly be atoned for by the, by the sacrifices of sheep and goats. Those sacrifices don't accomplish the ultimate atonement. Notice that as Ezekiel speaks to the bones, the bones start to come together. And tendons and, and flesh appears. But in verse 8... It says, but no breath was in them. And so God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the winds, to call for the winds to come and to breathe life into them. It's interesting that in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came and he stood in the midst of his disciples. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If God bringing Israel out of exile in Babylon was all that was needed, then Jesus did not need to come. 
You ever thought about that? If all they needed was for God to bring them out of Babylon, bring them back to the promised land and say, okay, you're with me now, we're good, then Jesus didn't need to come. And if all that Israel needed was to be be restored to the promised land and to have a rebuilt temple for sin offerings, then Jesus didn't need to come. They could sacrifice sheep. They could sacrifice goats. If that was good enough, if that was all that was needed, then Jesus didn't need to come. But Israel's exile was a picture of a bigger exile. And God's deliverance of Israel out of Babylon was a pointer to a bigger deliverance. A deliverance that was still needed. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, and he breathed on them saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. I believe he was intentionally hearkening our minds back to Ezekiel, saying, I am bringing you out from the ultimate exile. Not just the temporary exile of Israel in Babylon, but the exile that you and I experience because we are born into sin and death. The world says that death is natural, that it's normal. But Jesus' resurrection from the dead says that death has been swallowed up in victory. I don't know if you you pondered this very much this week, but I, I found myself pondering it. The world, I think, is caught between conflicting beliefs. I'm not trying to make some broad general overgeneralization the way everyone thinks. It's not like everybody thinks the same thing. But I think there is a tendency... For, for many people in the world on one hand to think that death is normal. When older people die, we don't consider it to be a tragedy. I'm not trying to be insensitive to, to, to people who have lost family members in, in their older age. But by and large, we don't consider it a crime when people who are older pass away. When people that we don't know are killed in car accidents, it's unfortunate. But it's not rare. We don't view it as this emotional trauma for us when people that we don't know die in a car accident. When someone is shot and killed in Chicago or even in Baltimore City City or in D.C., we don't We don't have candlelight vigils here in Annapolis for it. We don't say, oh, some of our own have been lost. We have come to expect things like this, and we consider them to be fairly normal. Have you ever thought about that? But on the other hand, something like this past Thursday happens, and it's closer to us. The building is a building that we're familiar with. Most of us have been in that building. I have. Or it's people that we're acquainted with. It's our community. And we immediately say, and and, and notice the contrast, we immediately say, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. 
You see the you see the contrast, the conflict. On one hand, we say, "Oh, this is normal. It happens all the time. We've come to expect things like this." And then all of a sudden, you have a you have the same thing essentially, but it happens right here for us. And we say, "This is tragic. It grieves us, and we all feel it." So, which is it? Is it normal and unremarkable? Or is it tragic and contrary to what we were made for? If there is something in you that says that this can't be okay, that this can't be normal, I would suggest to you that that is the voice of God. Because it's not what we were made for. Death and dying are part of the exile, our exile. Not just Israel's exile in Babylon, but it's part of our exile in our fallen condition. And Jesus Christ has come to deliver us from that exile. Well, how do we move from death to life? There are three things that I want to highlight for us. Number one, we need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear the truth of God from his word. God said to Ezekiel, preach to the bones. I wrote down here in parentheses, insert pastor joke about preaching to the congregation here. You all are not dry bones. Are there times when I feel like I'm not getting through? Of course but it's probably more about my communication than it is about your attentiveness. But seriously, God God could have brought these bones to life any way he wanted to. He could have. He didn't need Ezekiel to do it. You find it interesting that, that God wants to bring these bones to life, but he says, tell them to come to life. If I'm Ezekiel, if there's a part of me that's probably thinking, why do you want me to do it? I mean, you're, you're God. You, you could do this. He didn't need Ezekiel to tell the wind to come and give breath to these bones. And God doesn't need me, and he doesn't need Bruce, and he doesn't need anyone else to bring people from death to life, to work in people's lives, to give people abundant life. But, generally speaking, that is how he works. We need to hear the truth of God's word, primarily from the scriptures, in order to come from death to life. Why? Because that just seems to be the way that God has ordained it. Can he do it another way? Of course he can. But by and large, that's the way he works. He works through what, what Paul in the New Testament calls the foolishness of what is preached. And I think that's what he's saying. He's saying it, it, it seems silly that God would choose to work this way. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to, to work that way. So we need to hear the truth from God, from his word. Secondly, we need to understand the gospel. We need to understand that it is our sin and it is our sinfulness that has us here in this exile. That those dry bones are a picture of us. That we are not just sick. 
We are not just occasionally weak, but we are dead. In Ezekiel chapter 36, just the chapter ahead of this, God says that that what you really need is for me to take your heart of stone that does not beat and to replace it with a heart of flesh that will hear me, that will respond to me. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So we're not just weak, we're not just sick, we're not just occasionally uninspired. In our natural condition, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we need to understand, secondly, that Jesus Christ was cut off from the living so that we could be restored to life. He went into exile so that we can be brought back to God. So we need to understand both of those aspects of the gospel. We need to hear the word, the voice of God and hear his truth from his word. And we need to understand the gospel. And then thirdly, we need to believe the gospel. Understanding the gospel is important, but just understanding it is not enough. If you don't believe that you are spiritually dead, then you will never seek spiritual life. Why would you? Why would you seek spiritual life if you don't believe that you're dead? It's not enough to just understand that Christians, that the Bible says that you're spiritually dead. There comes to a point where you have to say, do I believe this or not? Do I really think this is true? So you have to believe that you're spiritually dead. Which is why it's not just enough to ask God for a little bit of help. When you're injured, you don't tell the paramedics how to help you. I know I'm kind of mixing my metaphors now, but, but, but if you're injured, you don't tell the paramedics how to help you. You entrust yourself to their care. Because you know that you can't save yourself. And that you need what only they can provide for you. So believing the gospel starts with confessing that you need what only God can do. But believing the gospel is also, also involves accepting Jesus' payment for sin on the cross as payment for your own sin. And I think this is very important. That, that we believe that, that, that Jesus' death on the cross is payment for your own sin, that it's your sin that he died for, and that his death has truly paid for your sin. I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally trying to push both of these points, that it's your sin that he died for, and that his death fully paid for your sin. Many Christians tend to believe one or the other. We either say... Yeah, I believe that there is sin. I knew that Jesus needed to die for sin, but I'm not so sure that I, that it's my sin that he really needed to pay for because I'm not sure I was really that bad. And so doctrinally we say, yes, Jesus died for sin. I'm a Christian. But I don't really see much connection with me because I don't, I don't really see myself as a bad person. I might call that Donald Trump Christianity, and I'm not trying to throw Donald Trump under the bus, but he has said it himself. When asked if he has ever confessed his sin, he actually said, 
I don't really recall ever confessing any sin because I don't really recall ever having sinned that I needed to confess. That's not the gospel. The gospel is believing that it is your sin that Jesus had to atone for. But it's also believing that Jesus has fully atoned for your sin. Because I also know Christians who, who, who think and, and talk like this. I know it's my sin. I know I'm a sinful person. And I know that Jesus died on the cross, but I'm not so sure that Jesus was able to atone for my sin because you don't know my sin. That's how bad my life is. And we lack confidence that Jesus' death is sufficient. And what I'm trying to say to you is, yes, it is your sin that required Jesus to go to the cross, but his death is sufficient. I don't care what you've done, how bad you think you are, his grace is sufficient. Believe it. Your debt has been paid in full. I love what God says in verse 14. He says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Let us pray now and prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Father, we need you. We are in exile. These bones are us in our natural condition. We need you to come and do for us what only you can do. We cannot rescue ourselves. We thank you so much that in your great love for us, you sent your son. And it was for our sin that he went to the cross. And his death truly has atoned for our sin. Help us to understand these truths. Help us to believe these truths and to put our faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.